The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. That time again. I feel like this is a longer break than usual. I try to do this every month, but I feel like it's been about six weeks uh, since the last one. But ha- really happy to be back. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. We're here at BN World Headquarters in downtown Concord. Wait, didn't didn't the law pass that allows you to now no, actually? No, no, no? no, January 1st. Oh, not in effect yet. And then I'll mm-hmm. go all in on that stuff. Got it. So... In the meantime, we're here at the BN Studios. Otherwise, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Uh, yeah, that other voice you hear is Scott, who's here with me, and also Bevo. How's it going, guys? It's going awesome. How are you, Bevo? <laughs> she waved. <laughs> I think that's a new one. That's great radio. Put the hand up. There's a camera back oh, there, I don't even too, have right? a mic on. I, because I, don't, I feel like there's no point in turning it on, right? Still not on. I can't hear you because I don't have headphones on because there's none in here. Mm-hmm. And I'm having chat issues, so I'm mm-hmm. handling you know, that situation. People just doesn't but care sure about sour beer anyway. So, you know. Yeah, she can't drink it. I stopped offering it to her because she can't do it. Yeah. It's, it's like that. Uh, do you ever watch Twilight Zone? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So there's one of the famous episodes where, you know, this guy, this curmudgeon, just wants to be alone. He just wants to... People stop bothering him and just to read books, right? Mm-hmm. And... Then an apocalypse happens. There's like a nuclear explosion or an H-bomb, whatever, and everyone's gone. And so it's like, oh, he's like so lonely. And then he goes to the library. He's like, yes, now I can read books. And then his glasses break. Yes. That's, right at the that, end of the episode is when the glasses broke, right? Spoiler alert. Yes. Yeah. Sorry for great one. who that's didn't a great see one. that in 1948. Um, but that's Bevo. Because she's amongst all these books, but she doesn't like, you know, she doesn't like or can't read. It's very true. She doesn't want any of the sour beer that we have on the show. But wait until a bomb blowed us up, <laughs> Bevo, and then there's no people sitting in front of you talking about beer. Oh, how you'll miss it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. All right. Well, good to see you, Bevo. Good to see you. Yeah, we're here, and we're, we're hoping that uh, you'll be here with us, too, by uh, participating in the show. We got a lot of response to uh, our guest tonight, Trevor Rogers from uh, DeGard Brewing. DeGard was only founded in 2013. The guy's like already achieved legendary status. It's been not, not three years. Yeah, you know, amazing. We, we've posted a few things on social media about getting Trevor on. And through that and some emails, we like a few people say, oh, it's about time. Right. And it's like, okay, so Rare Barrel's been open for two years. DeGard's been open for two years. The show's been going for one year. You know, I, th- I thought we got to them pretty quickly. But people are, like, that itching to get uh, more information about DeGard and their beers. Uh, a lot of people, hopefully listening, have been lucky enough to try their beers. Really awesome stuff. And we'll dive into that with uh, Trevor in a few minutes here. Um, but, yeah, if you want to ask Trevor some questions, go ahead and contact us. Call us, 888-401-BEER. Uh, Bevo's here to woman the phones tonight instead of, uh, I will. instead of Scott having to race back and forth, like, I believe... Was that last show or the show before? It was the last show. Yeah, where'd you go, Be Disneyland? JP's wedding. Not close enough. Bummer. 
<laughs> so so that went through. JP is it act, did. It's act, that that happened. No, she didn't. Didn't her old boyfriend come up while they were on the altar and steal her away? That's what happens in every movie. I see. No, it didn't. The woman's about to marry the guy, but then you know the ex boyfriend comes, he's pounding on the window, and she runs off with Cassandra. him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know she's really in love with the old boyfriend. Right, That's always how course. it works. No, um, it was a very nice wedding, and they walked away from it, marriaged. Well, good for him. JP likes sour beer. It's not that I don't like sour beer. Don't be offended. It's I that love he, it. She doesn't like us. It's, oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's a fact. That's, but no, my my body doesn't like it. It's a shame. Gotcha. You used to be so into it. You you change, Bebo. You change. No more details needed about that. Uh, join us on the show also by uh, emailing us Scott at thebrewingnetwork dot com. Also now Jay at thebrewingnetwork dot com. I don't know what. Wow, we made you legit. Yep, fully I'm, legit. I'm, I'm too legit Ooh. to quit. He did, for those of you who but cannot your see, hand was just outside of the camera he, views. He did in fact do the ridiculous. hand motions. Just know that I nailed it. I didn't know you speak watching. sign language. Oh yeah, man, you're a man J-A-Y. of so many talents. Wow, he that's, spelled his name that's legit, and then he pointed at me when that, he said oh, sorry, legit. legit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm almost through this, so yeah, All right. just just participate. Watch us. If you're not watching us now, you're not going to later. It's okay. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Leave feedback, please. And uh, yeah. One, a couple things I want to mention at the top of the show before we get to Degard. One thing quickly is kind of for the pro brewers out there. Uh, the Brewers Association is having a, a vote, and it's going to close 28th. It's closing in three days on the 31st, and it's for the board of directors. So super important vote. If you're listening to this right now live, uh, please, if you haven't voted yet, go ahead. And uh, you have an email in your inbox about it. So check out the Brewers Association board of directors vote and make sure you rock the vote. That's just a quick PSA for Burr's Association. You like wow, that? in the style of 1996 MTV. Yeah, man. Rock, Rock the, the vote. vote. Back to you, Carson. <laughs> I thought that's what you said, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah. no, he, no, he didn't say that. That, oh, that no. was for the older people who are in the studio with me tonight. Yeah, the Gen Xers. A throwback. <laughs> oh, man, is that what we are? I don't know. No, I don't think so. No, we're we're in the no man's land in between Gen X and Millennial. I don't think they have a name for us. You think so? Am I a Millennial? No, we're not Millennials. Okay, I'm not. No, I don't want to be. No, no, you have to be born in. I think it's like 1990 and up. It's the 90s kids that are the Millennials, yeah. right? Because they're like 22, 23, 25 now. I guess I don't know. But I don't know where the. I'm not a math is. guy, but I'm pretty sure. We could be evoking Wikipedia that while we're talking. Yeah, about let us know, beer. please. I want to know if our generation has a name. Yeah, if you were born in like, you know, 82, yeah. 83, 84 ish. 85. On it. <laughs> don't tell me I'm a millennial. If that's the result that comes up, they're millennials. Don't, I don't want to hear it. Okay, a few of the things at the top here. Uh, you know, in between uh, the last show and this one, uh, we went to JBF, which was awesome. Oh, how'd you do over there? It was a great time. Had a lot of fun. Uh, Rare Barrel won. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah, a couple oh. of medals for, for sour beers. You know that was, uh, yeah, that was awesome. Getting recognized, huh? Yes, hmm. very, very honored, uh, especially with the you know increased competition. I, I think it's great to see that category grow, and I think it's you know sour beer has so much momentum right now, where you're seeing so many things grow. You know, you can do a sour podcast, you can write a book about American sour beers, you can have a Facebook group that's all about you know milk and the funk, and you can have whole breweries that are just dedicated only to sour beer. And I think, you know, one indicator of that is the number of entries at JBF, and it skyrocketed this year. I don't know if it doubled in that category, but it came close to it. I think they had to shut it down, actually, at some point. No kidding. It doubled in one year. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's putting it up not at the same 
total entry level of you know all the hoppy beer categories but a similar growth rate at this point so wow. you know it's it's possible that i could get up to that point somewhere. well it, especially because it's uh i mean except for the couple examples of um you know kettle soured or or, or short turnaround sour beers mm-hmm. i'm assuming the vast majority of the entries in that category are long turnaround time beer right uh Possibly, actually, I is think that an that, overstatement. That, well, I think that category is actually better set up for kettle sours. Really? Kettle sours have one in that category before. Uh, I, I know the Commons is one. They make great, great sour beers uh, up in Portland. Um, so, wood aged beer is that where I'd find more of the the longer turnaround? Probably, hmm. but it, it's hard for it's hard to fit the beer, the kind of beer we make into the category. Technically, I don't even think we're supposed to be in this category because well, you you don't want barrel H flavors or pretenomyces flavor or aroma in this category. But your beer doesn't have flavor or aroma because you're not going for it. You're using it for other purposes. Exactly. Even though all of our beer has Brett and all of our beer is barrel aged. So it doesn't have in the rules that you can't have Brett. The rule is oh, there's no, not no. supposed to be Brett character, right. which there isn't. Right. So that's that's the workaround there. But I think otherwise it is set up well for, for kettle sour breweries. And maybe that explains the big jump in, uh, big jump in entries because I think a lot of a lot of people are experimenting with kettle sour beers, and hopefully you've been listening to some of these shows because we've really gotten in-depth on uh, some of the kettle souring techniques. But one last thing I want to hit on uh, when it comes to JBF was when we were lucky enough to have a pretty busy booth. If you waited in line to have our beers, really appreciate it. Hopefully when you got to the front, it was worth it. But one thing that really uh, was a big takeaway for me was that uh, the people who, when I was at the booth, came up and said they listened to this show. And that's nice. something that I always appreciate. Some pro brewers, uh, a lot of home brewers, and that was just an awesome thing to see. So thank you for that. That that definitely keeps us going here. And uh, you know, I, I think it's this show has gone from, hey, I think this would be a cool idea, and uh, I think people would get a lot out of this. To now, I'm really looking forward to doing the show, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Not that I wasn't having fun at first, but it's like the the response has been so overwhelming that it's just motivating me more to you know, continue to do the show and have a great time doing it and involve a lot of new groups. Yeah. You just, you just get more comfortable with it. I mean, I can think of a million things in my life that was, you're, you're sort of nervous and trying to stumble your way through it and you're not confident in your ability to do it. Mm-hmm. And then once you get more comfortable and you develop those things, then you can just focus on the fun part. Yeah. Just seeing the people respond to it in the way that it was intended is, has just been amazing. So thank you guys so much for that. That's cool. I also want to point out that it is, luck has nothing to do with why you had a long line at your booth. Just want to say because people say that all the time. It was oh, so lucky. An insane line. Oh yeah. Did you did you did you stumble uh, by it or have to fight your way through it? Oh no. It, no, it was no, right no. next. To, just... It was right next to the women's room for the record. Oh, so was that's it really? Diva was probably okay, over there. That's not true. <laughs> because I do enjoy small bits of sour beer, mm-hmm. so I was able to handle a one ounce. Well, a one ounce pour. Yeah, but I, I didn't wait in line. No, I'm too good for. Why that. would you? But thank you guys for coming out. Really do appreciate that and all the and all the support for the show. Yeah, you know, I mentioned on the last episode that we're opening up our club, or we did open up our club. I realize I I should have mentioned that earlier because we I think the live listeners probably got word of that, but then the podcast came out maybe around or right after the the club had opened, and we actually got we just got overwhelming response for people to sign up to the club, and unfortunately we had to cut it off at at a certain point. There's all sorts of problems with. Uh, the server's going down again, and man, we could do a whole podcast on servers. I, I know more than I ever would have wanted to about servers, but if you tried to get on there and weren't able to, we apologize for that, but we really appreciate all the support uh, for the people who did try. 
And for the people who got in, hopefully we can deliver you some some great beers in the next year in 2016. And then you plan on opening it again in a year? Yeah, every kind of every year at the same same time about. Is that is that fluid? Like if what if you figure out some way to increase your production a lot 6 months from now? Mm-hmm. Will you open it up then? Is it just due to production numbers? Yeah, it is due to production numbers, but it's the club the club gets their own beers that are blended exclusively for them. So we we kind of need to set that so we like we've already started to work on some beers that may potentially be club beers, and being in the business of making sour beer, you have to do things nine, twelve months in advance that you know you you can't be as uh, dynamic and change on a dime like that where we could reopen the club because we wouldn't have beer the exact amount of beer ready that's exclusive to the club basically. So um, yeah, we're doing it on a yearly basis. So. Uh, so yes, again, sorry if you couldn't get in this year, and hopefully you'll be interested enough to to try again next year. Uh, a few other notes at the top: our second anniversary party we just had, which was a big blast. Thanks God to damn. the the Brewing Network for for coming and oh, it was a great time, man. Thanks for, for having us. It was a good turnout from the BN. Um, and then any of the listeners who who showed up, thank you guys so much. Hopefully it was a good time. <laughs> it was a great party, though, man. If you that's worth a trip. If you're not in California. Find out when the next uh, uh, Rare Barrel... I guess you, you do ticketed parties. Is it just the one a year, the anniversary party? Uh, yeah, we'll do some random stuff where you know a brewer friend will be in town and maybe we'll do like a tap takeover or something like that. Yeah, we do some ticketed events. Usually, uh, just follow us on, on the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter. Um, well, definitely uh, mark your calendar for... I mean, I know you guys only do limited ticket sales, but mm-hmm. if you can sneak in there and score yourself a ticket uh, mid-October, that's a party to be at. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I gotta say, I, I had a great time as well. Um, and speaking of just uh, rare barrel stuff to keep an eye out for, we're coming out with our beer, Map of the Sun, which is our apricot sour beer. Yes. Uh, this is the second time we blended it. I'm really happy with the way it came out the second time. And, you know, a lot of what we talk about is, you know, improving sour beer techniques. And we take a lot of what we discuss on the show, learn on the show from other brewers, and learn at the rare barrel and try and apply that forward. So I'm really excited that. Uh, this beer for me is is even better than it was in the first year, and is it's even the first year beer. It's been maybe our most popular beer overall. So it was incredible. I think it was my favorite. If I had to pick one, awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. Cool. And then just some show stuff uh, quickly before we get to a break, uh, and then we bring on Trevor. A few corrections from the last few episodes. Uh, we talked about uh, someone had a question about like a Cheerio kind of flavor mm-hmm. or aroma in their mm-hmm. beer. And I think we may have had uh, Dr. Lambic on at the time. We speculated about what it was. And hopefully a few people have emailed in and kind of identified that for us. And that's, I think, let's let's both attempt this. Uh, why don't, actually, why don't you try to say that first, Scott, what that is? Uh, tetrahydropyridine. Tetrahydropyridine. Nice. Not, wow. Boom. You got that. I, I've been practicing that to say it on the air, and you, I'm not even going to do it now. So it's commonly referred to as THP. But you nailed it in about two seconds. I talk good. Um, so what I would recommend if you guys are interested or ever had that flavor, uh, go go ahead and check out the Milk the Funk wiki because that's where my printout is from. And it's just an awesome resource. I don't really want to go into the whole thing because it's pretty complicated. But basically, yes, you know, the Cheerio flavor uh, is, is a flavor you can get from sour beer production. Uh, one part I want to read off of this is just that in higher amounts, it can taste different or smell different than it can in lower amounts. So in high amounts, it could be that mousy or urine, maybe a cat pee kind of thing. 
And then a lower amount, Cheerios, Captain Crunch, breakfast cereal, cracker, biscuit, hmm. tor- tortilla, that kind of thing. So I, lower amounts is good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I encourage you to go over to the Milk the Funk wiki. Just type it in and uh, you'll learn a lot more about it if you guys ever need to troubleshoot that off flavor. Um, other, other correction, I realized that when we were talking to, uh, to Dr. Lambic also, we had uh, talked about carbing samples that are room temp. And I mentioned that uh, we carbonate the samples in the same way at, at the rare barrel, uh, but I switched the order. So what you want to do is cool down the sample first and then uh, shake it up with the carbonator cap. So uh, go ahead and check out the, I believe, the Q&A episode if you're interested in that. Um, but yeah, the most recent show was actually with Lauren Salazar from New Belgium, our first repeat guest. Uh, Jamil came in the studio. We were able to taste some of his sour beers. And we talked about our new Belgium collab. We had a nice Q&A story behind the Rare Barrel. It was a great episode. The last two parts. Uh, definitely recommend you guys go and check that out. Had some at the uh, your anniversary party. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was. T- I think it was getting a little little better as time went on. I think it was oh, only, nice. what, a month and a half in between tastings. But sure. noticeably different, and I enjoyed it even more. Good, because I, I think it's all gone now. So. Oh, well... I was looking forward to sampling it further along <laughs> in its life, but I, I'm not surprised that I'm not going to be able to. Well, yeah, we actually we're going to use that beer as an inoculant for the pH one barrel that we got. And if maybe that's the other update in between then and now, uh, the whole barrel that our brewery is named after yeah. has been delivered. That's right to the rare barrel. I can't believe it wasn't mentioned before. What is it? Minute nineteen? Yeah, I guess yeah. It, it's so much has been going it's, on. It's in the rare barrel now. Yeah, and it's full of. A little inoculant, which may be air on the side of awesome. And then we just added work to it. So we're propping it up, propping Hell. up the yeast and bacteria inside the yes. barrel. Are you writing anything on it? Because pH1 is just kind of scribbled on there. Someone wrote it in just like the pen. Yeah, it's an old ratty barrel. And on there is also written the rare barrel. We didn't write that. That was already on there. And then uh, I think on there also is uh, Beat for beatification. There's some other markings. You know, there's a Vinny nail. There's a a plug on it. So it's just an awesome piece of history. I just like to put it in a, like a glass case, but you know, it is living history. So we're going to try to make more beer out of it. I would like, uh, maybe it can't be you, but maybe one of your staff, or maybe I'll do it next time I'm in there to, uh, to write, uh, J plus Alex inside of a heart. Like you see carved into a tree trunk. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> would you, would, would somebody flip out if, uh, it got written on, I mean, not, you know, not defaced, but just added to, uh, Maybe, you know, really? it's, it's, it should be framed. It's like the Mona Lisa. You just want to freeze it beer. in its current state. Yeah. But what, what if somebody had done that before all the cool things currently written on there had, had been written on there, you know, then you wouldn't I guess have, that's what, you know, that's what they started to do. They started writing stuff on it just right. like any barrel. So exactly. yeah, we'll, we'll write a little something on there. J plus Alex inside of a heart. That, that may make the cut. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll brainstorm. Um, I do want to. I do want to pay off the uh, the Generation X thing. Thanks. Oh, yeah. uh, be emailed me this uh, this blurb in 1997. Time magazine claimed that Generation X was born between 1965 and 1977. Newsweek has described the millennials as Americans born between 77 and 94. No. Seems like too big of a range to me. In a 2000 story. I'm going to go with this one. The New York Times described Generation Y, which now I've heard this, I'm remembering, as young people between ages of 10 and 24, 10 and 24 in the year 2000, which means you were born between 76 and 90. That sounds right. So Gen X is 65 to 77. Gen Y is 77 to 90. 90 and up is millennial. Okay. For Gen Y. We decided. 
Yeah, you I heard like it that. here. So I'd rather be why. Newsweek, Time, New York Times, screw them all. The Sour Hour on the Brewing Network has the final word. Breaking news. And speaking of paying things off, I think I forgot to mention that that Map of the Sun releases on November 7th. But I think that's it. Let's quit yapping and then uh, get to a break, perhaps. We, we, we've got to go grab a beer, too. So yeah, we, we do. Crack it open for our first segment with Trevor. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be bringing in Trevor from DeGard right after this break. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Three-time Ninkasi Award winner and Grandmaster Judge Gordon Strong invites you on a guided journey of what's new in the world of homebrewing. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles, and contemporary techniques available now from Brewers Publications. Gordon brings you specific advice and sensory profiles for as-brewed, award-winning beers with delicious variations to get your creative juices flowing. This is more than just a book of recipes. It sets brewers on the path to discovering what's new in the world of homebrewing. AHA director Gary Glass says if you want to enter competitions or just learn more about styles that you might not have experience with, this book is going to help you tremendously. By emulating what Gordon does, you're going to make better beer. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles and contemporary techniques by Gordon Strong. Available right now from BrewersPublications.com and find brewing retailers near you. Guard Brewing on tonight. Very excited about this. The people are excited. Lots of response online. Ask for some questions. Hold and on a second. What, no, what is happening? Bebo's dancing to the, the rejoiner, so okay. we'll let's let just roll. wait for a second. No, no, it's fine. We can continue. No, no, no. no. We're waiting. No, no, no. I'm done. Do you know the lyrics? Honey. I knew the honey. I knew honey was coming. <laughs> I just picked the oh. word. You just picked the word, and it was the right one. Unease. Boom. Yeah. All right. Let's dive in. Is Trevor on the line with us? Trevor. Yeah. Can you hear me there? Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, it's uh, my, my pleasure and honor to be on here. Thanks for the invite. Of course. I think there's uh, a lot of people who are excited, who were excited to see that you're going to be on, and now are excited to listen to you. Uh, your beer has a pretty wide influence for what seems to me to be like somewhat of a small production from, you know, not the busiest part of Oregon. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> how would you describe what, you know, for those who haven't uh, seen your beers or had a chance to try them, how would you describe, you know, what DeGard Brewing is all about? You know, it's a question we've had a few times, and it's a tough one to pin down, but uh, we're, I, I guess, as, as close as you can get to an authentically wild brewery, perhaps, uh, uh, outside of of. Belgium, at least to my understanding, um, you know we're we're strictly reliant on our local yeast and bacteria here. Uh, everything's run through our cool ship, uh, very much a a local uh, manifestation. Awesome. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty strange process. It's like you said, you know, being an all wild brewery. Um, what you know? How, can you take us through kind of maybe just your your typical process? You know, maybe you know, what's your brewery like? You said you mentioned you have a cool ship. 
how how does that work? How long do you leave the beer in there? And then uh, where does it go from there? What kind of aging time do your do your beers typically have? Yeah, um, you know, it's it, there's certainly some variability, but the the fairly standard part of it is, uh, you know, we we behave uh, like a a more uh, uh, standard brewery in that we you know still do a typical mash procedure, uh, although some of our recipes are are mashed much higher than than um, might be normal um post that everything gets run to the kettle uh post boiling everything's gonna run to the cool ship uh typically we run in there in the uh, early afternoon uh say about three o'clock four o'clock depending on uh how uh on the ball we are that particular day <laughs> and then uh depending on the ambient temperature we'll usually be running out uh, around noon give or take a couple hours the uh the next day um after leaving the cool ship it's run into oak uh whether that be a standard size barrel, uh, punch and barrel, or some of our larger uh, oak tanks or fooders. Um, and it's fermented in there, uh, fermented and aged on the lees so it doesn't get transferred off of the, the, the yeast. Uh, and then uh, I think the shortest turnaround time we see for the beers is about three months. Um, and that's some of our Berliners, uh, or Berliner inspired, I should say, uh, goes inspired. Uh, all the way up to, I think, the oldest beer we have in barrel now is is coming up on its fourth year uh, in oak. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and after that, we taste uh, barrels, tanks, and such, compose blends, uh, run it into blending tanks, and uh, bottle or keg. And so at the time that you put the beer in the cool ship, is that, what's the temperature and pH like? Is it, you know, boiling hot and then it cools overnight? Uh, you know, are you knocking out at around 5 pH or do you lower uh, the pH at all when you when you do your knockout to cool ship? What's the wort like? Um, so, again, that's going to be somewhat recipe dependent. Uh, everything that goes into the cool ship uh, is basically wort that you could find at any brewery. Uh, obviously, like we might use some more adjunct grain or something, wheat, uh, etc. But it goes in boiling hot, uh, is cooled uh, naturally and ambiently, uh, no assistance, uh, assistance from glycol or anything of that nature. Um, we don't use uh, uh, any additional acid, acid treatment uh, post-mash. Um, so we will adjust mash pH on occasion. Uh, sometimes we shoot for, for instance, in the Berliner or Goza-inspired beers, we try to lower the pH to inhibit enteric bacterial fermentation so that effectively shortens the timeline because you're not reliant on Britannomyces to come through and clean up a lot of the off-characters that otherwise would be produced. So since you start with a slightly lower pH at the start of fermentation, you'll still see a little bit of that uh, funky character, but not to the extreme you normally would, and then hence the you know year-long or two-year-long cleanup timeline. Gotcha. And it seems seems to me that you have a pretty good handle on you know what microbes are doing what to your beer. Um, <laughs> how, how long did that take you to get a sense of that? And then uh, what microbes do you think you know are are what are the most distinctive in your beer? You know, do you have them isolated? How do you repitch them? How are you dealing with uh, the critters in your beer? Well, you know, uh, I, you know, Armand just recently told us when we were in Belgium that uh, if you think you know <laughs> everything or anything, you need to rethink that. Uh, so to, to claim that we we have a perfect handle on on uh, our process or brewing in general, I think would be would be misspoken or out, overstated on our part or, or anybody's part. Uh, we, we have a pretty good idea how our wild yeast and bacterial will behave in tangent with each other and when we provide different stimuli to them. Um, 
but of course there's always uh, variables and they have a tendency being really wild and not a, a cultured uh, quantified uh, pitch uh, that they want to do their own thing um, so we don't repitch yeast uh, you know the 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 only time we do add any yeast to our beer is for the beers that have spent less than a year in oak uh, because they tend to have a elevated concentration of Pediococcus, uh, naturally occurring Pediococcus, and other bacterial populations. We will occasionally use wine yeast, yeast at that point uh, during uh, added to the blending tank for the reconditioning process to ensure a healthier uh, outcome. Okay, so when you're using the blending tank, is that right before packaging, or are you talking about a tank that blends the beer before going into barrels for further aging? Oh, good question. Uh, yeah, it's right before we're packaging. So after we've made our, our final determination on what uh, uh, the blend, the composition is going to be, uh, chosen the barrels uh, or if it's coming from a larger tank, um, we'll run the beer in and then add yeast to the tank immediately prior to running into bottle or keg. Gotcha. And when it comes to using your cool ship, you know, I'm sure there's quite a bit of variability. You know, I think you've mentioned different uh, manipulations you do for different recipes. What have you found have been the best practices for you? And, you know, what what changes in process or procedure do you feel like directly led to kind of desired results for your beers? Boy, it's... <laughs> we we do such a, a, a range of different beers. I mean, obviously all wild and, and uh, some element of acidity to them that... The best practice for for each one is pretty wildly different. Uh, for instance, you know, I think we've found, and I wish we'd uh, started earlier, that we, well, both our tastes have gravitated towards less acidic beers, and as we've aged stuff beyond that two and three year mark, we found that we wanted a lower acid contribution during the long term aging. So we've been progressively upping our hop schedule. You know, I think you can always. Uh, blend in a barrel or a component that is a little bit more lactic uh, to increase the acidity of a beer that ended up uh, just fairly uh, uh, closer to neutral pH, uh, not not as acidic, uh, but has great funk. But you can't take acid out of a beer unless you have a backstock of beer that is funky but not acidic. So moving forward, we've been gradually increasing uh, our hopping rate, uh, aged hops in most of uh, our beers, uh, and then fresh hops in a few of them um, to try and, and temper the acidity. And we're finally starting to see some beers coming out that are, are bearing fruit to that. But, of course, it's a long-term process when a change we make today might not be noticeable until uh, this time next year. Exactly, and that's that's awesome that you're you're finally seeing those uh, those changes kind of come out in the final product. Um what when it comes to the aged hop versus the the fresh hop? Is there a certain beer you'd want to use the aged hop in? Is that an older beer and then the fresh hop and maybe one of your younger Berliner type beers? Um, typically, we use the um, aged hops or, or the fresh hops in something that we want that character to show through. Uh, we don't generally do much of a bittering addition with fresh hops. It's usually uh, a more sizable uh, later addition. The kettle still adds IBUs, of course. Um, whether it be in the whirlpool or, or, you know, right in the last 15 minutes, five minutes of the boil. Um, whereas the majority of our, our recipes, uh, outside of like the, the Saison inspired stuff that sees the, the fresh hops, uh, are, are all with aged hops, uh, as our, our kettle of hot side additions. Um, so we typically favor three to four year, uh, Cascader Willamette, Oregon grown. Uh, they almost invariably after about the two month or two year aging timeline hit the 0.5, uh, alpha 0.4 beta. Uh, seems like the magic number for some reason. 
but they still usually after about two years still have a little bit of a, a isovaleric, a, a little bit of that cheesy character and uh, find that less than desirable. So they add a little bit of a bittering uh, character to it. We, uh, at bare minimum, started about 1.5 pounds per barrel. Uh, so you s- still see some bittering contribution, just not significant. Um, but I feel like the uh, that hop character, uh, particularly in the Lambic-inspired stuff, that we're, we're hitting that uh, three pound per barrel <coughs> hot side edition, it's kind of essential to get that cellar, uh, that, that rustic, the musty, uh, that, 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 that truly wild and earthy character. So the hops might not smell or taste like much, but intuitively and, and, and uh, through sensory evaluation, they do provide something in the end product. Awesome. Yeah. Scott, watch me seamlessly do this. So I think that's a great point, Trevor. You know, I think using hops in your sour beer really is going to affect the mouthfeel, just like Dr. Lambic wrote on his recent blog post on sourbeerblog.com. You guys should go check that out. And we have a question that's sponsored by sourbeerblog.com, don't we, Scott? They call him Silk, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we do, Jay. I'm glad you brought that up. This comes from Mitch. Mitch says, uh, hey, guys, love your show. I want to start experimenting with inoculating clean beer in the bottle with different Brett strains. Is it possible to take... Uh, a single batch of beer and inoculate the bottles at bottling time with Brett. Like half a batch gets Dre and the other half gets uh, Klaseni. Is that how you pronounce that one? Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, is is using uh, a sterile syringe to take the Brett straight from a White Labs vial and then evenly distribute throughout the bottles a viable method? <laughs> sure. That's probably better than what most people do. Um, what most people do. Well, things that are a little sketchier than that. You know, but that's that's a good way to do it. Uh, just dose each each bottle like you would, uh, you know, kind of using the uh, the sugar dosing thing that used to that I used to use as a home brewer. Um, yeah, go ahead and do that. We we used to do this all the time at the brewery when we made our saisons. We would uh, make a Belgian style kind of single beer, and then dose Britannomyces at bottling, and it, Brett would get really expressive in the bottle that way. I think this is. A common thing to do, all kind of inspired by the classic uh, Travis Beer Orval, which is a brewer's favorite, of course. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great way to go about it. And the fact that you're splitting it up between different strains is also awesome. It's something that we tried to do at the Rare Barrel uh, when we first started and we were trying to decide what bottle conditioning yeast to use. We did a few different breads, We did a few different Saccharomyces, some, some wine yeast, uh, and that kind of got us settled on this one particular wine yeast we use for bottle conditioning. Um, and I think, Trevor, you mentioned, too, you use wine yeast for bottle conditioning. With your kind of wild methods, did you ever consider using Brett as a bottle conditioner, or what, what kind of went into that uh, decision with your bottle conditioning? Yeah, well, um, we absolutely had considered it. Um, the thing is, there's always a significant population of Brett still remaining. So we're not uh, sterile filtering or pasteurizing. So we're, uh, we're running still a significant quantity of yeast and bacteria that's still uh, have, uh, in solution in the beer. We're just basically supplementing the wild Saccharomyces. So we still get a little of that uh, funkification of, in the bottle. Um, but we want to, again, supplement the wild Saccharomyces to ensure that between the wild and the wine, it outcompetes uh, bacterial populations. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it. And I've had, I've been lucky enough to have quite a few of your bottles before, and the carbonation level is always right on point. So I think you're you're doing a great job with that. Well, you might be the first person to have given us that compliment. <laughs> oh yeah, have you have you had trouble with that? Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, given the the variability uh, of wild fermentation, that there's going to be a little bit of uh, uh, give and take with uh, e- even within the same recipe. 
So I think we've gotten better over time, but you know, we, we might target three volumes on a particular beer and we have to go into that knowing that to even with our best uh, educated guess on where we're going to end up, uh, we could end up at four or we could end up at two. Uh, unfortunately, most of the time it's much closer to where we want, but we've have seen that kind of variation where the uh, remaining fermentables might not uh, be metabolized as much as we expected or where the yeast just decided that they didn't want to consume all of any added fermentables to it. Hashtag sour brewer problems. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's actually a great system product that uh, you, homebrewer, can use if uh, you want to see if you can go into DeGuard territory and not have to treat your water for most of your recipes, or you do have to treat your water for a lot of your recipes, which I, I think is the majority of you. It's called the iDip. If you go to uh, smartbrewkit.com, uh, you can uh, use this awesome... You don't even need to do maths. Is this the thing that uh, Nate was talking about yeah. using on the session? exactly. Same of, product. Oh, okay. Yep, so uh, it's the only meter on the market, runs water tests with no math needed which makes me immediately be in love with it it's a handheld water tester it's got an app it pairs via bluetooth it updates your water results instantly to your own water profile i mean you really can dial in uh, your water to the uh, one millionth of a of a part per millionth Wow. Sign the, me up. The millionth to the millionth. Yeah, smartbrewkit.com. Enter uh, code TBN15, and you'll receive uh, free shipping uh, plus a bottle of reagent for free. It's a $70 value. And uh, support those who uh, support these shows and uh, test use the most awesomest product that was ever developed for water uh, treatment while you're at it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to that. Smartbrewkit.com. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, so much more to get into with Trevor. Let's take a, a quick break, Let's, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, the beer we have open right now from Trevor, which is Printemps Melange, and uh, get into some more topics uh, with Trevor Rogers, co-owner of DeGuard Brewing. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Have you ever dreamed of attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Danstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2016 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition to the 2016 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 11, 2015, every Danstar yeast packet you use is your ticket to enter. Visit danstaryeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter, so get brewing with Danstar and get your entries into the Danstar 2016 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at danstaryeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Lalamond and Danstar Premium Brewing Yeast and enter to win. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craft 
craftbeer.com and click on Beer Styles to start the guide. Plus, enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com, the Brewers Banter blogs, beer education, how to host a beer tasting, and the invaluable Draft Quality Manual. Tons of great content that makes your beer better. Visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion, camaraderie, and creativity of the craft beer community. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. Back to Sour Hour. Trevor Rogers from DeGard Bruin still with us. You know, Scott, we uh, we talk about a lot of cool yeast and bacteria on the show. You know where to get it. Pray tell. Wineandhop.com. The Wine and Hop Shop, of course. Oh. So you, you're, you mean Didn't if you I know, was... In, I talk about this every episode. I should know. You're right. If I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, they'd be my local. They would be your local. Put your money where Jamil's mouth is and shop at your local homebrew shop. A lot of people live in Madison. Yeah, that's true. A lot of, a lot of people who drink beer, for sure. Let's see. Here we, here we go. What, what are you doing? Siri, how many people live in Madison, Wisconsin? The population of Madison, Wisconsin, is about 233,200. That's a lot of people sh- that can shop at the Wine and Hop Shop. Yeah, College Town, definitely a lot of home brewers there. Uh, but they have uh, Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast now. Giga Yeast is a local uh, small ye- uh, yeast lab here. So, uh, yeah, go check them out, wineandhop.com. Most of them are going to ship within 24 hours. You know the drill. BN listeners get flat $8 shipping on, on orders under 50 pounds. Enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. And that discount is going to be taken off after checkout. So visit them, the Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. I will never not trip over that. <laughs> the Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. You just nailed it. Never say never. Oh, yeah. Well, you'll edit it to make me sound great, just like every show. Always. Well, you'll edit it to make me sound great. Well, you'll edit it to make me sound great. No one knows that in real life I have a really high-pitched voice. <laughs> you know, That's all you modulation. Just, yep, and You're I appreciate that. Speaking in one of those uh, voice changers that the guys from Scream used. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you just can't see it. I miss Scream. They should, they should do a remake. I think they did. I mean, I mean like another one. <laughs> kind of like they're doing with Indiana Jones, you know. Should, should Wes Craven direct it? Sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I'm all for that. I mean, geez, it's already been like it's coming up on 20 years already since those movies were out. Why not? Yeah. It's time for a remake. Trevor, are you a Scream fan? Uh, you know, it's been so long since I've seen any of them. Uh, I don't recall. <laughs> wow. So it really made a huge impression on you. Obviously. You must yes. have loved it. <laughs> he's, he's being polite. He secretly hates Scream. And, you know, he's just being nice. Worst movies ever. <laughs> all right. We are back with Trevor. Uh, let's talk about some, some beers he sent us. So... Uh, we've got the, I believe it's called Printemps Melange in, uh, in one glass in front of us. Can you tell us about that beer? And before you do, Trevor, I just want to know why you sent the beer to Jay instead of sending it directly oh, to me. Oh, brilliant. How am I supposed to drink the beer to my face and not share it with anybody if you're sending beer to Jay? You know, we were told by a number of people in online communities that we shouldn't <laughs> send it directly to you for beer. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. I told you, Scott, it's viral. People, now everyone knows about this. To be quite honestly, uh, we had Jay's address on file because we've, we've shared some beer back and forth before. I, uh-huh. so I that see. was an easy route. I got you. But I did want to uh, say really quickly before we get into beers, um, you know, right before the break there, uh, you had mentioned me as a co-owner of the garden. To be quite honest, I am not an owner. Uh, oh, that's my, my mistake. Fortunately, my, my fair and, and fantastic wife, uh, Lindsay, is the sole owner of our brewery. 
uh, and is much better at the ownerly duties. Uh, I'm, I'm merely a humble uh, brewer here. So uh, is the head that, brewer, I suppose, but brewer nonetheless. Is that your official title then, head brewer? Yes. All right, let me just uh, pause the show and cross it out on my sheet. Did you? Because, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I Google, you know, everyone's got their, their own different title, and I just, you know, Google oh, Google his, his name and then pick the first one, and it's like, you know, some article that you, you were interviewed for, and it's like, oh, yeah, co-owner. It's like, boom, co-owner. Well, oh, and no hard feelings there. I think uh, both of us have been a, a public face for the business, so it's a, a frequent assumption that I am, uh, but... She's the one that the, uh, really built the backbone of this. Uh, I just make beer, which she also does a great job helping with. That's the way to be. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, let's get into that beer. So we're talking about uh, print temps. We've got that in our glass in front of us. It's, it's amazing, by the way. Uh, tell us how you make this liquid gold. Well, uh, it's a, a kind of collaborative effort tasting through with uh, our other two assistant brewers here, uh, Jared uh, uh, Allison and Mark Pearson. Um, we, as with all of our blends, go through, pull some barrel samples. This one was composed of, I believe, approximately two-year-old uh, Lambic-inspired uh, barrels, um, neutral oak. And then we pulled, I believe, just under one-year-old kind of wild farmhouse-inspired beer uh, to complete the composition. So you get some of that younger, uh, a little bit fruitier, funkier, and, and more cleanly lactic with uh, some of the older, uh, funkier and oakier. Oh, that's brilliant. And I think on the... On the label, it's a cognac barrels. Is that right? Ah, yes. The uh, the lambic inspired component was a uh, cognac. Okay. Uh, how how have you uh, experienced the cognac barrels in your cellar? Is that something that you like to work with? Uh, something that's giving you trouble? How how has that influenced your beers? A uh, little bit of both, man. Um, you know, we've we've seen a little bit more of an oxidative uh, character and a progression towards a more acetic character than we'd like in some of them. Uh, so there's been a little bit of culling uh, involved in that. Uh, what we do like is that they provide a, a really nice, musty character, a bit of that, that, like, you know, you really think cellar, what we think of as, like, basement or cellar, which we dig, uh, as well as a little of the, uh, that, that uh, orange, almost like liqueur uh, and, and cognac note. So kind of a fun uh, combination. Awesome. Yeah, it's not something you, you see all the time, uh, but I think it pairs well in this beer. Um, what... So when you when you say you have uh, you know lambic inspired beers, is that something that you know the day you brew it and then knock out in the cool ship, you know that that beer is going to be part of your lambic inspired program, or you know as it ages, do you pick if it's going to be part of the Berliner or the lambic? How does that work? No, it's a, it's an independent recipe. Uh, it's targeted to be slightly less fermentable and, and as a long term project. Uh, so we know that going into the brew day, um, you know our, our our end goal is to have that be a significant majority of our production. But unfortunately, since uh, it is the longest uh, on average uh, production item, particularly as you start getting into the three-year blends, uh, like the broken truck that you have there to taste in a bit, as a new brewery, uh, particularly starting up on, on predominantly personal finance uh, and, and private you know, uh, uh, lines of credit and such like that, you can't just dive all in. Uh, so we've had to slowly grow into it. But yeah, it's... Uh, designed from the beginning to be a long-term uh, recipe and and uh, beer. Awesome. Well, you you did reference this broken truck, and now I just took my first sip of that, and wow, quite quite different from the print temps. Uh, Scott, have you tried the uh, the broken truck one yet? Uh, no, I've T- been take a sip and do the side by side. Maybe Trevor, you could tell us if this is if these are both part of your lambic inspired line. You know how how do they taste so different? I'd say the broken truck has quite a bit of funk to it 
and is lower on the acidity. Much lower, yeah. Where the Printemps is uh, more acidic, not not acidic or overly, uh, very bright and and a good sour beer, but a different kind of kind of Brett funk aroma. Yeah, Can the- you tell us? What, is that how you interpret it, Scott? The broken truck is uh, it's classic goose. It's very goozy. It's got that. I, um, I don't. I always use the word charcoal, even though I know that's not right. But I just use that as that specific goose thing. Mm-hmm. It only happens in goose. And uh, the uh, the print temps is uh, barrel character written all over it. You really get the the cognac barrel, and I'm not even woody so much. It's you. You get the uh, is a, is wine and cognac, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting wine and cognac character from it, which, as I was saying to Jay during the break, I normally do not dig the cognac essence in an acidic beer. Something about cognac and acidic don't go well on for my palate. This beer is incredibly well done and is – I love it, I, and I normally don't. So what is the difference there, Trevor? Carving a notch in the wall for that that one right there, then. <laughs> <laughs> the, the difference is age, man. Um, you know, uh, the Printemps is not uh, – all from the Lambic inspired series, you know, you, you, we the the half of that that is uh, coming from our our kind of old school farmhouse inspired thread doesn't develop ever that that depth of funk. It's too fermentable. Uh, there's not enough starches remaining in there uh, for for bread to really have a pronounced uh, influence, or to at least get that. Uh, well, Jay described it as charcoal. I always think of it as definitely mineral, uh, definitely uh, uh, towards a, a, a almost petroly thing. It just won't happen. Uh, so you you have end up with a, a little bit less complex in the Britannomyces character, a little more assertive uh, early fermentation character, uh, versus the Broken Truck, which is one of our first uh, uh, really attempts at producing a goose inspired beer. Um, and you know the, that recipe is made to be less fermentable, provide lots of uh, the bulk of fermentables or a lot of them for for PD Caucus and Britannomyces occurring much later on at the one year or later mark. Uh, and so by blending a few different years, you end up with a kind of, well, again, a, a depth of Brett character. And we haven't really found a way to get that otherwise. Yeah. I, the way Scott described it was perfect. It's, it is very goozy. And the acidity is just so pleasant. It's almost like more a more drinkable version of goose. Yeah. It, it's a beautiful beer. Yeah, really, it really is. Really great work. Well, uh, thanks. And, you know, it, my taste, that's still a bit more acidic than we're, we're targeting. Uh, I think that subsequent blends will we'll be dialing uh, that pH back up just a, just a small notch further uh, because we do ultimately want our beers to be drinkable and characterful versus aggressive. So, like, uh, Trevor is going in the opposite direction. He's got acidic, and he's trying to move slightly away from acidic. And, Jay, I was saying to you before the show, as I was drinking the new Rare Barrel release, uh, which is the grapefruit one called... Creative Juices. Creative Juices. Uh, your beer, and I've noted this on the show before, seems to be getting slightly more acidic with each release, and it could totally just be my perception. But is that something that you're doing, A, and if so, is it intentional? Uh, we, we try to blend to, you know, I guess, I guess our, our standard is a little different where, you know, we we are putting ourselves out there as a sour brewery. You know, we had... Um, Barrel works on the show, and they're a little bit against the term sour. We're kind of going the opposite way, where we're embracing the term sour. We think it's something that brings people in instead of excludes people. But in that way, we also have an arena in which, you know, here's the most sour beer we can make, and here's the least sour beer we can make. So I think we definitely have a lower threshold, and we play in between those two. Um, And with all of our experiments that we do, a drift is only going to be natural. I'm sure we'll drift back at some point just based on whatever we're experimenting with at the time. Uh, you know, I, 
I keep stressing that we don't have a house character. Um, and maybe the way we make beer uh, is our character, but uh, we certainly do drift back and forth. Um, but but getting just transitioning back to this broken tuck, truck and what uh, Trevor was saying about that, I think this is going to be a really interesting beer with those adjustments that you said, Trevor, because you know, you're talking about maybe integrating the hops more to lower the acidity. I think, you know, like we touched on with the Sour Beer blog article with the mouthfeel, the tannins, I think that would make this even more, increase the perception of the kind of Belgian Lambic style beer even more. Although I think it, the acidity would be lighter than those end up being, but it, it may just have all those great characters you want in a more drinkable package, basically. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we I, I'll agree with you. I think you said it better than I probably could. Uh, we're, we don't shoot to make necessarily sour beer, but it's going to be acidic. Um, sour is probably the best description, the most approachable to the vast majority of consumers. But ultimately, our biggest goal is to have something that is, is uh, again, characterful. Uh, but I agree with what you're saying about the, the tannic contribution from the increased hop load and the hot sparge for that particular uh, recipe that we use, uh, that we are seeing that the uh, batches that are coming up on their one-year timeline now that uh, have seen the the first time we started like really hitting our where we're at now, the peak uh, uh, hopping level, uh, do have a little more tannic backbone. And in fact, are showing even an increased uh, depth of Britannomyces character that was absent, or not absence, but did, diminished uh, in prior iterations. Uh, so it seems like a positive progression, just hopping it far more than we ever thought would prove necessary or, or uh, proper. But again, you have to try and figure out what does work the best awesome well the the progressions you already we're already seeing in some of the beers we're tasting from you uh it it just shows you take your process seriously and you're making a lot of improvements um i want to ask a couple of questions here question one is for the listeners it's like if you want to be serious about making sour beer what do you do scott what would you say have a lot of extra equipment from wineandhop.com but the other thing to do is listen to the other bn shows like Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, Brew Strong, all those shows are going to get you where you want to be as a brewer. I mean, really, it's a brewing education for free from the Brewing Network. So that's awesome. And then when you're done with that, listen to the session, I guess, whatever. I mean, it's not it's not the best, but it's okay. It's good for, like, uh, you know, brain-dead listening when you're, you're washing dishes or mowing your lawn or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or when your girlfriend watches Bravo. Which, exactly. You know, that's gonna and you can sit that. there on the couch with her and have your quality time yep. while she vegges out and, you know, with the TV and you have your earbud in your yep. left ear. The, the ear that she's – because if she's sitting on your right, you have the earbud in the left ear mm-hmm. and you do what I do. You cut off one earbud so there's just one left mm-hmm. and they can't even see it. It's like the stewardess comes around, can't see that your phone's not in airplane mode, and your girlfriend can't see that you're not listening to her. Scott, you have not seen The Real Housewives because you can't have one earbud out. You have to have like the Bose noise count canceling. It is the worst shrieks you've ever... It's just shrieking. the whole. It's just I don't even know how long it goes on. Maybe two hours. I don't know. But it's just shrieking the whole episode. Oh no. But anyway, that's when you should listen to the session, basically. Um, question number two is, Trevor, can you hang on with us? I think we're going to come to our show break uh, ending part one, but we'd love for you to stay on for part two. I got a lot more questions for you. Is that cool? Yeah, man. No problem. All right. Well, we're here with uh, Trevor from DeGuard. That's the end of part one. And uh, I do not think it's possible for you not to listen to part two after that. You know. That's, oh, that's when all the good stuff's coming up. We I saved all the good stuff for part two. And we saved some beers for part two as well. But those first two, man, awesome beers, right? 
this what's the truck one called? They're again? incredible. Uh, broken truck. Broken truck. Yeah, really, it's like goose. It is. It's a classic goose. It's incredible. It's a little less sour. I mean, I, lo- I love it because it's more drinkable. It's I awesome. wanted. I would love to do a side by side with this and like Cantillon Classic Goose because they. I mean, they taste so similar to my mm-hmm. palate, not having one next to the other. And I bet you if I had them side by side, I'd, I'd see how many drif- differences there truly were. For sure. But it's a fantastic Be- Maybe goose. Bevo should try that. The broken truck. It's not as sour. You know? she, she shook her She did that thing where she shook, shook her, her head, head yes. but it was, it was a very compact shake, like a, almost a twitch. Oh, wow. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep going with Trevor, answer some of your questions, and talk more sour beer next on part two of the Sour Hour. Network.